0: Welcome to another special episode of Africa State of Mind, a podcast about great Africans doing great things on the continent and around the globe. It is all about changing the narrative on Africa, owning our own stories and controlling them. The podcast is definitely about curating incredible African stories by Africans. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your suggestions and comments on our social media pages. Our social media pages, again, for those who just joined us, Facebook at Africa State of Mind, Twitter at Africa State Mind. Let's get straight into this episode. So the problem with interviewing somebody who musically and lyrically is a creative genius to say the least Is that anything you say to introduce them is probably at the very best going to sound mediocre I mean how do you um, introduce a Ugandan and Rwandese beauty whose sound has captured the hearts of people globally She has been compared to a young Nina Simone by some and a young Miriam Makeba by others She's a 2018 NAACP award winner She has gone to number one in the iTunes chart She's shared stages or collaborated with people people front with with the likes of Brahim Masikela, Common, Jlekijo and L- Aloe Black, Baba Mal and Jennifer Hudson. Her music has the ability to capture a moment in time, and with each listen, you find yourself almost teleporting to a different place or even era. She also isn't afraid to speak truth to power and make important social commentary. But outside of the dopeness of her visual and sonetic experience, her music is 100% a vibe. She is no doubt changing the African narrative, so it's so great to have her on this episode of Africa State of Mind. Yay! Yay! Thank you for that. (laughs) So, me, so I Googled your name firstly because I was trying to understand what it means. And you know, I had to do the whole African thing and be like, what does the name mean? And so, what came out from me is Daughter of Lord. Is that what your name means? Daughter of? Daughter of Lord. Quite literally, if you type in Somi in Google, meaning it says Daughter of Lord. So, I don't know (laughs) if that was what your parents were going (laughs) for or.
1: No, no, no. It comes from the verb kusoma, which in most Bantu languages means to read or study or learn, right? So it really was like typical circumstantial meaning My dad was finishing his postdoc and my name is actually my full name is Kabasomi. So like child of studies or child of a scholar or child of learning. Oh wow. Child okay. of knowledge. Yeah.
0: Okay, that sounds good. And now um, you mentioned about your dad finishing <laughs> studying. Um I think your mom is Uganda and your dad is Rwandese, right? yes but you're first generation american because you were born in the states yes so um, i was born in the states Mm. so uh, being born in the states and with parents obviously of african descent um and heritage did how did you grow up what kind of household did you grow up in was it a you know what i mean was it like an african household talk to us about just your upbringing a bit
1: sure completely an african household you know um we were always told that home was somewhere else and i did spend part of my childhood actually in africa as well we moved to zambia when i was about 3 and lived there until i was 8 um and so we always had this kind of bi-continental awareness you know whether we were here or or outside um and so here being africa <laughs> yeah. um and so yeah completely grew up in a household that was about knowing where we're from, um, honoring our heritage, our elders. You know, obviously we had a number of those moments growing up where you want to do the American thing, you want to go to the sleepover or the slumber (laughs) party, and they're like, well, why do you need to sleep at somebody else's home? So things that were completely, against, like, well, just not very familiar to our own culture. Um, You know, we always had those kind of conversations, but really my parents um, did their best, you know, and I'm thankful for it. And
0: your music is so diverse I know that people define it as being jazz But when I listen to it uh, Quite literally I feel like it touches On different parts of the world So I guess it it leads me to ask the question What kind of music did you listen to? Did your parents listen to growing up? Because your taste is quite eclectic And it comes out in the music that you make
1: Sure, you know I think that's why It's always very hard for me to answer What type of style of music Or what genre And I I really do try to lean into all of the different influences socially, culturally. So my parents, my mom listened to a lot of Western classical music. Actually, she's a lover of Aswa, but she also has a beautiful, beautiful voice and is a a wonderful keeper of of like traditional uh, folk songs from Western Uganda. So I grew up learning so many children's songs. Um, from the Toro region, and uh, she really just instilled that kind of love of music from that point of view. At that at that time, when we were growing up, my father was more about roots. Is you know not so much about Western music. So I listened to um, a lot of just. Kind of besides the like Central African kind of you remember that moment in in Suku and Lingala when yes. it's,
0: like, all you heard when it was parents, yeah that's all you heard <laughs> yes and you thought it was from so, your country like, but it wasn't <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly so all of the parties there'd be like Suku's playing but then my father also listened to a lot of stuff like you know from all over the continent Central African Republic there was this like pygmy crew called Deep Forest that he listened to. Um, you know, he also was a lover of like roots reggae, Bob Marley. Um, so really a lot of great songwriters and, um, people who privileged like where they were from. So, you know, all of that, it's interesting that I should end up in the context of jazz, at least to me, I find it a bit interesting because I didn't really listen to jazz Mm -hmm. growing up. My parents didn't really listen to it. And I don't really remember hearing it. Like, Properly hearing it, you know, really paying attention until I was in college. Um, And so I kind of accidentally found myself in this room of jazz. But in other ways, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because jazz is so much about freedom and improvisation. So it's allowed me to be all of those things.
0: Now, Somi, if you'd allow me to backtrack, you mentioned something about, um, I think your mom is from Batoro, right? Am I correct? Your Toro. Mm, yes. So, so, I mean, that obviously, as a Ugandan, whenever I think of the Torah people, I think of the kingdom and generally women from the Torah kingdom in general, you're also yes, regal and you, you hold your head up high. It's almost like you're walking Nubian queens. Um, how, how much time do you, sp- I mean, but I'm sure that that was something that was instilled in you as, you know, growing up, because in general, you can spot a Torah woman from far. And I'm like, that's why she is the way that she is, because there is this, um, you know, you carry yourselves as royals in general, as a, as a oh, people.
1: Thank you. Well, you know, and 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 that was also kind of a, a funny story growing up. My mom is actually from the Bwiti clan, which is that royal clan. Not to say that that's why I'm walking around in a certain <laughs> way, but but um, you know, I, she would tell me, she would tell us as children, like you're a princess, you're, and yeah. um, I would tell, like frankly, my. Um, teachers my american teachers some of them white teachers who just were not trying to hear about african kings and queens <laughs> you know so um i often got into a bit of like some arguments with teachers who would be like there's no such thing as a princess an african princess there's no wow. such thing. Um, but but yeah it was crazy but my mother even if i about come home in tears about it my mother would call the school and be like you don't know who we're from how dare you still my the joy from my child, you know, and, and where we're from and the pride she has about that. Um so, you know, again like that was really instilled in, in all of us to just have pride in where we're from mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 I and I'm so thankful for that, you know. So thankful for that because I think if I didn't have that uh, awareness of, of African heritage then I, I would feel quite lost, you know. So and
0: also me just touching on that, um you know, what I hear quite often is that there is a, a gap almost between or a difference between being black American versus being an being African American versus being an African in America, you know, outside of just mm. the race factors. How did you know, did mm. you ever do you ever have to deal with any of that or like how does that all work in, in your world?
1: sure absolutely i mean growing up we grew up in a in a small kind of college town my father was professor at a university in in illinois and um you know the majority of people we were around were white people not even black people um and so just dealing with that and like the ignorance around africa especially in the 80s people had no sense of the continent other than like starving images and war and whatnot so, you know, you're always kind of negotiating that. And then when I did come into contact with the African-American community as I, as we became older, like into high school or into college, really, university, um, that's when that whole negotiation of, you know, are you black enough? Are you not? Mm. You know, so it's actually interesting that then by later, there's a song called Black Enough and talking about that intra-racial tension mm. that we have with each other. You know, I mean, all of those things that flared up even when Obama was running, you know, is he black enough to be the first black president having not come from the history of the African-American slave um, Mm. narrative and, and, and experience, um, which I can completely understand, respect and, 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 um, empathize with, but I also, you know, it's important that we as black people allow ourselves to acknowledge a certain nuance of ourselves, right. And how we're not a monolith and how, Mm we all have very different experiences as black people in the world, but at the end of the day, um, there's a shared heritage. You know, at the end of the day, everybody came from this continent. And so definitely it was hard at times, um, Mm -hmm. but there are times I'm here and, you know, here in Africa and, you know, here they'll call you America they'll <laughs> call you what <laughs> more American than yes that no uh, when you walk down the streets and
0: I, I'm even like I'm I don't live in America but I know what you mean it's very <laughs>
1: it's, yeah <laughs> so you know it's always a constant negotiation you know but definitely there were those tensions and feeling misunderstood and sometimes what was most hurtful as a child growing up was, uh, you know, the the comments about being, you know, an African, maybe you saw the African booty scratcher. That was like a, a thing back in the day. Um, it was oftentimes coming from other black children. You know, it wasn't necessarily the white children who did have their own set of ignorance questions and, and comments, but, you know, it would hurt even more um, coming from the African-American mm-hmm. community. But that ignorance was really on both sides. You know, I, I had all sorts of, ideas of what a black person, a black person from the States was when we got back to the States, you know, just based on what was on television, which unfortunately at that time, there weren't the most positive images. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel now as an adult and somebody who came of age, there in a very privileged position to be able to have an understanding of both experiences um, and both kind of, you know, cultural points of view. And I think, you know, we have so much more in common than we do um, you
0: know not in common so there's a lovely quote that you or, or a phrase that you kind of um, you mentioned in in one of your interviews where you said that you want to be able and I'm paraphrasing that you want to be able to reimagine Africa and the way that Africa is viewed you know um, and so this brings me mm. to your uh, amazing album Petite Afrique <laughs> which obviously is, mm. is 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 French um now and just from researching and listening i had no idea um about just about the amount of people from francophone africa in the harlem region and and just the influence that it had you know with regards to that annual music too
1: mm. yes um yeah that record is specifically about like i mean when i started re- researching that work it was because i live in harlem which you know most people knows is, is upper manhattan in new york city um, really historic neighborhood, one of the most important, I think, black neighborhoods on, on the planet, right, in terms of its contribution to the arts and literature and social, uh, you know, and, and, and social, ex, sorry, the arts <laughs> and literature and, uh, you know, activism and mm-hmm. philosophy and just so many visionaries and so many artists have come through through that neighborhood. So I moved there partly because I wanted to be close to that legacy and understand what, was so important, what was the energy of that neighborhood that was contributing to, like, inspiring so many incredible voices and, and personalities. Um, but I also moved there because, you know, New York City, like most big cities, can feel very anonymous. Mm. And when I moved to Harlem, when I first, well, let me say, when I first came up to Harlem, I discovered on 116th Street this vibrant, you know, West predominantly West African, predominantly Muslim, predominantly Francophone um, African immigrant community, right? So, being able to be close to something that reminded me of home, in my, you know, my parents and and home being the continent and, and all of that, just it comforted me in some way and it, it inspired me in some way. Like I was like, well, if I can't live on the continent right now, I can be as close as possible in New York, and that was it's really in Harlem and Petit Afrique, as you know, in in English is it just means little Africa, and so mm-hmm. that whole stretch is called it's called little Africa or sometimes little Dakar because it's mostly senegalese. I mean their embassy used to be on one hundred and sixteenth sure. street <laughs> you yeah. know so, um, so it was quite it's been quite tragic over the last few years watching Harlem not only be gentrified but to see this immigrant community be displaced and to think about how to reconstruct home a second or third time in their lives after having built such a strong community. And when I started writing this work, I had no idea, you know, who would end up in the White House, and that immigrants would be under attack, Muslims would be under attack, that people of color would be under attack in the way that they are. Um, And so, I really was just—I'm very, I'm very thankful and humbled by the fact that this this record has given me a platform to speak about those issues in a really kind of serendipitously timely way, you know. Um, and so, and, and ironically in many ways as well So, but yeah, everybody should come to Harlem And go one sixteenth and get some shea butter And get their hair braided <laughs>
0: well, As long as there's shea butter and you can braid your hair um, That's home for me, definitely <laughs> Now, Somi, for you also I mean, you, you touched on what is going on in America currently um, With the current administration And I think it's something that we see not just in America But it's, a, it's a, almost like a global phenomena For lack of a better term or phrase um, that we're seeing either within the continent where people are not standing united as Africans and then when you go into Europe the way that you know Africans or people who are different are being treated and then obviously the attack on on Islam in general as a whole and then in America too how important is it as an artist I mean you, you like you mentioned now your your record it was you you had no idea what was going to happen at the point of recording it so it's quite serendipitous mm. but how important do you think it is for artists to stand out and to talk and to make commentary or or something like that or do you think th- that sort of
1: responsibility shouldn't fall on their shoulders well i think we should we should share whatever is in our hearts you know i think it's just important to be honest with with who we are, where we are, and what we're witnessing, you know, um, more than anything, rather than saying, well, you have to speak about the time. I do think it's also important that we use the platform and the space that we're given responsibly and understand that what we do put out into to the world, you know, people do listen and, and are impacted and are influenced. Um, and I think that the beauty of art making and you know and music and, and literature is that it disarms people, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is you're able to transform cultural space into a safe space of understanding of conversation in a way that you can't so easily. We don't always have the opportunity to do in, a, in an easier kind of w- in that sort of way mm-hmm. um, in real life, you know, on the street or in your neighborhood, you know. So that's the beauty of welcoming people into a space of music and some people. Don't like that they're like I just came here for the music I don't want to hear about politics but then they're just not my audience like in terms of my own point of view yeah. <laughs> and it's not that I'm trying to talk about politics all of the time but I'm I'm just gonna tell the truth mm-hmm. you know and the truth could be about matters of the heart you know um, and the truth could also be about Islamophobia you know mm-hmm. so um, it's really just about having an honest exchange and I think that when you privilege truth-telling then inevitably the difficult conversations are going to show up. Now,
0: um, when you recorded the Lagos Music Salon, which, by the way, that entire project is one of my favorites, just all... All, of oh. all time um, i I was quite I was quite fascinated with the idea that although you know um, Nigeria and Lagos uh, had this thriving culture and music and everybody's talking about what's going on in Lagos, there weren't that many performance spaces and so the way that your album came about was quite interesting. it was it was almost recorded close to by mistake. Can you talk to us about just the sabbatical and the journey of making that particular project?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I moved there, I was asked to come and do uh, a visiting artist teaching residency at a university in Elor, and I had been to Lagos before for a jazz festival, and I loved it, and I have so many Nigerian friends, and you know, everybody, I mean, Nigeria, Lagos is a, it's sexy, right? Yeah, (laughs) no, it is. Intriguing, and people are always like, Lagos has all this stuff happening, so I was very curious about Lagos anyway, and so when I had this invitation, a former advisor of mine in New York, um... Sure, I jumped at the chance. It was—it felt like a soft landing, which is what so many of us in the diaspora often look for when we're trying to figure out how to get back home. Mm. Um, and so, what I decided was not only to use it as a soft landing, but to explore the idea of staying a bit longer. And that seven-week residency turned into eighteen months, um, where I, I just was. Experiencing what Lagos had to happen, you know, had to offer, and was, was learning as much as I could. And I was really just there as, a, as an observer. And honestly, I did not go there to write a record. Mm. I went there, I had just gone through a loss. My father had passed in the past year. And I, I really, he was a staunch Africanist, you know, and, and I really just was like, I want to go home to the continent. I want to be in a place that has a, a bustling, you know, cultural industry and economy. Um, but I also wanted it to be my own experience, and I felt like if I came to Rwanda and Uganda, it might be the experience of all of the loving mm. aunties and uncles telling me, don't do this, do this, you know, <laughs> and so I just really wanted it to be my own journey, um, and so once I got there, I met within the first couple of weeks, I met Kobanza Zasupo, who's a brilliant, phenomenal producer. I'm sure you're aware yes, of him. Yes, yes. Um, one of the, the the most talented people I've ever met mm. anywhere on this on this, on this earth. Um, and so we kind of immediately hit it off. And uh, one of the things I was doing, again, because I wasn't there to write the record, I just was recording. I had this digital voice recorder in my pocket at all times. And I recorded... Street conversations, the sound of you know traffic. I recorded immigration officials. I recorded all sorts of things, and those things kind of inspired songs. And you know, I was writing a lot, just prose and journaling, and so a lot of those things kind of emerged as songs. And and because there was no, and, and as they became songs, I just wanted to share them and know that it was something that the Lagos audience could. Relate to that it was honest. I didn't want to like k- go off and be like, "This is what Lagos feels like or sounds like," and then the Nigerians are like, "Actually, you're wrong." <laughs> they like, Madame, exactly. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> sit down, yeah. sit down no. <laughs> yeah. So I um decided to start having these salons. A friend of mine, Azuwa ha runs the African artist Foundation, and he said, "You know." I have this gallery, why don't you just do it here? And so the very first Lagos Music Salon was 66 chairs and some wine and cupcakes and a band that Cobham helped me put together to present this music. And um, then it became like a monthly kind of series that I was doing where I was kind of still workshopping the the music and inviting local artists to be guests. And it was just such a... um, magical journey. And then suddenly I had a record of music and, uh, I, I asked columbus to come. I mean, originally the plan was to record in Nigeria, which proved to be a bit challenging logistically, um, just because of what studios were available and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he came to New York and, you know, and, and we, we put it down and, and, and it's obviously, you know, as you listen to it, there, it's, There are all these kind of interludes, which are you know those sort of digital recordings that were from that time.
0: We can, yeah, they it definitely is. I think what I love about the project, actually, both Petite Afrique and the Lagos Music Salon, is the fact that. Conceptually, it is what we always expected projects to be interludes. You know, mm. it's like, it's a still, it's a story in a whole journey. So I'm going to ask you this next question. You can say yes or no. You can ignore me or you can lie. It's your choice. But <laughs> this song, Ginger Me Slowly, uh, madam, please, what happened? <laughs> who, I'm sure you've been asked that. I've been dying to know who is the influence of, of that particular song because it's, it's, oh, it's one of so the sexiest, funny. it is one of the sexiest, um, songs written just about that phrase that is used so often in West Africa everyone's like ginger me but i've never heard it expressed the way that you have you've you've done it in quite a sexy sultry <laughs> way so i need to know the truth please
1: No, <laughs> You know, the funny thing is ginger, that that expression to ginger someone was like one of the first little bits of slang that I heard when I got to Lagos. Yeah. And I just thought it was such a charming way. I mean, you know, I think it's like also from I don't know, old, old way of English people used to talk to say the word ginger like, oh, it's actually like a, it's, it's not that it's just Nigerian slang, but mm. Nigerians have made it this very kind of sweet thing, you know, like, ah, ginger him now, ginger me, you know, and mm. I I just thought it was such a, a sweet way of, of asking for somebody to like, make you feel good, you know? <laughs> so, so, um, and, and, you know, as I'm sure, you know, and, and listeners know, you know, Nigerian men can be quite persuasive and, <laughs> and, and, or, or let's say forthcoming. Right. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was there and I was meeting all sorts of interesting characters <laughs> and, uh, I was like, let's just slow, you know, like, let's take it, let's take it slow. I mean, obviously the song is also kind of saying take it slowly, but it's also like, let's go to, to Monaco and the Nile, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, it really was just kind of a response to the the ways that, the way that, that, that Nigerian men can woo <laughs> people. I'm going to take <laughs> that as the I'm official answer because it sounds like... <laughs>
0: You're you're trying to avoid, but it's fine. I totally respect that. Um, now let's let's also just talk about you with Sony Music. Um, are you still signed with them? How does that deal work? I ask that because so I mean, of late, a lot of people are talking about how labels are not the way to go, and you just seem like the sort of right. artist who would be a hundred percent um independent, so to speak. So, I'm sure that there mm. were people from both sides saying, "Keep it real, keep it real," and then you know. So how does that all work in
1: your world? Sure. You know, well, I will say that, I mean, I guess I've shared it in a really public way. I recently just started Waves. um, And mostly because of what you're saying. Like, it's just not the same, I think, in terms Mm -hmm. of what a label does. And there's so much agency that the digital world has given artists. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I'll never be with a, a label again. It just means that, I think there are other ways that, that those partnerships can be structured, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that being with a major, it's kind of a tra- – they're very much traditionalist mm-hmm. um, and not always, you know, thinking about how to kind of break the break the mold, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that proved to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, I'm trying to say that as diplomatically as possible, mm-hmm. but I'm thankful for what they did contribute. And I think the mm-hmm. benefit of being with a major is always that you can essentially – show up in any city, any major city in the world and have a certain type of support, most Mm -hmm. major cities in the world, and have a certain type of support in place, or at least you should. (laughs) Um, But how that deal came about, um, you know, I was on the jazz side of Sony, and um, these last two records were released with that that jazz imprint, and it was a historic, it is a historic um, jazz imprint that put out, like, Billie Holiday, Louis Armstrong all these folks and had gone defunct like in the eighties. Um, and so they were relaunching it and wanted to um, kind of have a global point of view in terms of jazz and, and, and creative folks right now in that, in that scene. So um, somebody connected us, a, a guy named Brian Backus, who used to be head of ANR Blue Note. And um, at that point I had already recorded Legos Music Salon. So, I was trying to figure out if I was going to put it out independently or not. And uh, I decided to share it and they were excited about it and came to the show and were excited about it. And so we decided to move forward. And and I am thankful for that. But, you know, I just needed a different kind Mm of um, journey, strategy.
0: (laughs) Now, I think think also if we look at the, the, the way that the world has shifted quite a lot, you know, I suppose that as an artist, it's a, it's a lot easier to be, I guess, in control of your narrative and to use the the tools that are available. You know what I mean? Because before you yeah. didn't really have those tools. So I guess it, it makes the, the leap a little bit uh, easier.
1: In a way, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I learned from this, that, that partnership was, you know, it it, it takes a lot to 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 translate at least the cultural point of view I'm trying to share. You know, so you come in there like, hey, this is a record about Lagos, and da 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 and it all sounds exciting and it's colorful and da 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 you know. But then to really ask people, you know, who are sitting, you know, in New York in Manhattan, on Madison Avenue thinking about, like, how to translate a modern African aesthetic, it's a real leap for them, mm. you know. And there is no kind of um, template that they can look to there in the U S. And so I think obviously there's so much more coming out of the continent. And so perhaps it's going to be easier for the next time around. I'm Mm. not sure, but I just felt like, you know, at at the end of the day, there isn't an understanding of, of, of what I'm trying to, the narratives and the, and the people, frankly, that I'm trying to represent, Mm. um, and and I, that shows up in all of the strategy that we've put around it. And so yes, it in many ways it does free me to be as intentional and creative and um, and again honest about like the the images and 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 what what I'm representing, right? This community, this continent, um, and this culture, you know. And I think mm-hmm. in many ways it was just a realization that. We can only do that for ourselves, which I think so many people are realizing right now on the continent, right? Yeah. This idea that like we have to tell our stories, our stories. Um, in um, our way.
0: If I could just interject there, Somi, when you say that, uh, some it, I think of this whole argument around cultural appropriation versus misappropriation versus appreciation. This whole thing that is happening because the whole world is looking at Africa and a lot of people are either taking from Africa and not giving you know, they're not referencing where they're getting their, their ideas from. But then you also have a, a host mm. of people who are actually, um, you know, that get ideas from Africa and they are, you know, paying homage where need be. What are your thoughts around that whole debate and conversation and about Africa being the center of the world? And what what are your thoughts about it? Is it just a phase? Is it just a fad? Or is it here to stay? Is it a changing of time?
1: No, no, no! It's definitely not a phase. You know, it's definitely not a fad. I think you know we are at a—it's kind of a golden age, if you will. I mm. think we've moved beyond the kind of neo-colonial, post-colonial trappings of still trying to aspire to like Western standards of things. And now, what we're trying to aspire to—you know—I can say specific. I mean, at least here, and I think across the continent in our own ways. But right now, we're on on the phone, I and mean, in Kigali, and Rwanda. And, uh, you know, it's extraordinary what's happening here. And it's not about let's uh, um, aspire to Western ideals. It's let's, you know, do what's best for ourselves, you know, because in our darkest hour during genocide, you know, we were left alone. And I think that lesson um, is that we have to rely on ourselves. So people look at what's happened um, in Rwanda and say, you know, it's kind of incredible to see all, you know, to come out of genocide, to come out of such a tragic story, and then to see what's happening here in terms of, you know, the the green policies and, you know, the number of women in parliament, there's 68% of the people in parliament are female, and that's the largest number in the world, Um, cannot bring plastic bags into the country. I mean, so many things. It's so clean. There's social health care, social, I mean, it's just an incredible... Trans- transformation and i think it's it's one example of of the wonderful things that are happening on the continent you know and to to really come to a place of self-reliance but not only self-reliance but understanding that we can do it for ourselves because everything is here you know um it doesn't mean that we're not still de- dependent on certain kinds of aid and whatnot um but i think it's just it's a it's a process yeah. right and um it's definitely not a fad. I'm I'm so thrilled to to be able to be here to bear witness and to contribute some sort of voice to that journey. You know,
0: what do you think the world can learn from uh, Rwanda R- Rwanda's history and just how the country has managed to l- Rwanda? I mean. I think they can't be. There aren't the words to describe the things that are going on in Rwanda, and how it's just so legendary. You know, it's iconic. What do you think the world can learn from how people from Rwanda have turned their country around?
1: Well, I think that you know we can understand that even in our darkest times, there can we can still reach for light. You know, we can still reach for uh, for vision, for promise. You know, for purpose because people are still, you know, the, the genocide was in 1994. That's 24 years ago, um, which means that people are still carrying. We are still here, surviving, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, what that means is that even, even with that, that there's, there's still. Um, Possibility that humanity can kind of carry us through, right? Can kind of get us to the other side, and that we can still manifest a better future. Frankly, I mean, this maybe sounds a bit, you know, hippie and and whatnot, and and sort of, um, I don't know. But the reality is, we are here building a better future for mm. for the generations that will come. And so, I think it's really just a, a lesson in in the beauty of humanity and the resilience of ourselves to to overcome great sadness great tragedy um and so you know you wake up here you look around and you can't help but be inspired to do your best and to push through now i want to
0: mention names of people that you either shared a stage with or collaborated with and then if you could give a sentence of what it is that you learned the most from them (laughs) okay um so i'll have to start Mm -hmm. of course with um brahima sekela the late brahima sekela
1: Well, he was my greatest mentor. Um, So I I don't really have something to summarize all that he gave me, but I will say he is somebody who, again, was a staunch Africanist and really just was about, like, we have to know ourselves, you know, in order to do the work that we're doing as artists. We have to know ourselves, and not just as artists, but as African people, right? There's There's power in that. You know, he always talks about there's a there's a great quote which I I I don't remember b- verbatim, but he talked about how he didn't discover this music. He actually was just you know culling from the well of, of beauty and wealth that was here for mm-hmm. him to take, right? That was here for him to share um, with the world as an African as an African man and an African artist. Uh, so I mean I will say the one thing I al- always also remember, and he is hugely why I ended up in Lagos. I should say that as well. Um, we were having lunch in New York and just sort of catching up. You know, we would always sort of check in. And he said, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about going to Lagos for a while, but, you know, I don't know. I love New York, and I don't know if it's the right thing to leave my career. And he said, tell me, what are you talking about? New York will always be here. And what you also have to recognize is that as artists, as musicians, we are global citizens. So your audience, you may might not know your audience in Nigeria yet, but trust that they are there. You're waiting to, to meet each other. And that's just what accompanies your global citizenship as an artist. And so you can go and spend time with whoever it is and then come back. Um, and then I had the good fortune of performing, you know, being at the same jazz festival with him about a month after I had moved. And he said, this is exactly where you need to be. I already hear interesting shifts in your point of view and in in your music. And, um, so he's he's the reason I even had the courage to stay in Lagos. Sure. Um, I can imagine so, his I mean, loss so many was. Things qu- I learned from him.
0: Yeah, his loss must have been quite heavy for you. Yes. Uh, sorry about that. Absolutely. So, mm. um, and now just with Baba Mal as well. I think you you shared a stage with him.
1: Yes, um, I performed with him. We had the same publicist. It's not <laughs> such a romantic story. We had the same publicist. You're like, uh, we know the same time. people. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did a show. We ended up at an event performing. Uh, he invited me on stage to perform with him. And then we also ended up uh, sharing the stage at Summer Stage in Central Park. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Hudson? But he was wonderful. He was wonderful. You're like, no, Jennifer man. Jennifer Hudson... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jennifer Hudson. Um I met her in Bahrain. So random. So random. In the Gulf. Um it was a <laughs> it was it was they were trying to launch something that was supposed to be the iTunes of the Middle East. It was called Your Files. And they invited artists from all seven well, six continents not Antarctica. <laughs> anyway, they invited uh, artists from all six continents, and um, somehow I was the one who was invited from from Africa, and she was invited from the States. And uh, we ended up, you know, sharing some time and st- the stage, and, and, you know, bonding on the fact that we both grew up in Illinois. Okay. And
0: then what about Elo Black? Ello Black.
1: <laughs> 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 um, Alo was, how did I meet Al? I met
0: him. Oh, what did you, let me, let me say, what did you learn from working with him? Let me put it that way. Oh, sorry. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, you know, Alo, he always gives it his all. I feel like we first met in Montreux, in, um, at jazz festival there. And, um, just really hit it off, became like fast friends, his wife as well. And, but what I always appreciated about his performances was that he just goes for it. You know, it's not about the, the perfect note. It's not about, you know, obsessing about all these sort of things. I'm not, not to say that he's not a perfectionist in his craft, but I just appreciated his freedom. Um, and so he, you know, was kind enough to, to show up and do a, a song with me on my latest record, but really, I, I really just, respect that he always is willing to try, even when it's uncomfortable. And Angelique Kijo? Angelique. (laughs) What did I learn from her? I mean, she is such a a powerhouse. Like, I always think of her as a firecracker because I don't know if you've ever seen her live. Yes, I have. I I mean, the, I just like, she is so fit and (laughs) so much energy on stage and i just respect that she's been at it for a long long time mm. and gives everything mm. gives everything to the show um and i love that she is not afraid to buck stand like what people think an african woman should be mm. and like how they should behave you know and um so i think yeah i love that she always has a certain type of strength and femininity on stage um, so yeah, I would say that you know, just not shy away and, and not be afraid to kind of challenge uh, the status quo and, and and stereotypes of who African women are, who might, who they might be. And finally, common, common, common is a a teacher of generosity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could say that about so many people. Definitely, Uncle Hugh. But uh, he, you know, common is he's generous. He is very, very much... Um, he always kind of stands in a, from a place of spirit, you know, and which might be... It was a bit of a surprise to me. You know, he's kind of, like, very humble and very um, centered spiritually and just generous. Like, he really... Is present whenever he's talking to anyone, whether it's myself or whomever is in the room. If he's in conversation, I always notice that he's always so present, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting because that song we did on Lagos music school on When Rivers Cry, um, it was inspired. I wrote it right after Wangari Maathai passed, and I was thinking, well, she was our African voice for environmental mm. issues. Who's the next person going to be if she's gone? And I really, really wanted a rapper, and I remember talking about uh, talking about this with with Kobams, and we asked so many MCs from Nigeria, like and and the continent, and it they, was just they said no, so difficult. I won't say they said no, but it okay. was just a lot of chasing.
0: Okay, I understand. You know, wow.
1: And then it, it came to the point that like I had a deadline, I had to finish, you know, and 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 then. The comment was like, "Sure," <laughs> and I was like, "How is it easier for me to get common than like the other folks that we were pursuing at the time?" Um, and I just thought that was that was probably the most disappointing part of the process, just because I was like, "It shouldn't be as hard. We should be willing to collaborate in in ways, you know, in these kind of ways." But um, but it also spoke to his generosity, you know. I mean, I didn't know Common so well, and I was just this African singer asking him you know like we had met and i don't know so it just worked out in the end and i'm thankful for it and finally
0: Somi, before we let you go when you think africa state of mind how would you describe that i'm sorry could you repeat that when you think of the term africa state of mind how would you describe that africa state of
1: mind definitely pride is in there um Definitely ambition, resilience is in there because as we know, you can't really be here. You can't be here and not be resilient because things aren't perfect. You know, there's, there's so much, there's still so much work for us to do here on the continent and for ourselves. So resilience, absolutely being willing to stay the course and, and see the best of ourselves manifest, you know? Um, Yeah. All of them. Thank you so much, Sawmi. Enjoy your rest,
0: the rest of your stay in Rwanda. Thank you so much, Lee. And also, Thank please you. say hi to the first lady. You guys saw you guys tweeting each other. I'm like, she's friends <laughs> with the first lady of Rwanda. You didn't think I was going to let that slide. Please tell her ah, I said hello. Funny. That's
1: funny. I will try my best. I will try my best. So you're going. I'm heading to Lagos actually tomorrow. So I'll tell the people
0: in Lagos you said hello. No, no, no. The people in Lagos I can tell myself. I can't tell the first lady of Rwanda. (laughs) So please, I need to just you know, like, just you know, what's the relationship like there? I had to. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I really had to because, yeah, you're gonna have to complete that sentence. Sure. I mean, was that a question? Well, I want the relationship with the first family of
1: Rwanda. Well, I don't know that I could say I have a relationship with the first family, but I will say that, you know, she was kind enough. I've had the opportunity to meet them a few times and, and she was kind enough to come to my last uh, performance in Rwanda. Mm. Um I performed for them in the past in in other kind of, you know, events, more formal kind of events, but this was specifically an event about my group coming to perform in Kigali and sort of celebrating some of the goodness that's happened abroad um, and representing the country, obviously, as well. So she came and and had some kind words to share and and put it out there in the world and tweeted. So obviously i was very thankful for that and uh, Mm. hopefully, you know,
0: You have other opportunities. I know that I know that I know that you're Ugandan because the way you're playing that down, (laughs) that is your, your mom has done very well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Somi. And just, you know, just listening to your work and just seeing your aesthetic and just everything about you is really, man, you just give this beautiful image of Africa. So just continue doing what you do. Hopefully we'll get to see you perform real soon and enjoy Lagos. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, take it. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for spending time with us on this episode of Africa State of Mind. Don't forget that you can tweet us at Africa State Mind. You can also send us, uh, you can join the Facebook group, which is Africa State of Mind. And if, if there are any people that you want to have on the show that you think are changing the African narrative and are part of this big change and revolution that's going on around Africa, then please be sure to let us know. Send us a tweet, join the Facebook group, and also tell your friends. It's Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba on iTunes. Thank you. Bye. Africa State of Mind
1: with Lee Kasumba. Get
0: it on iTunes now.